It, uh, it was a lot of firsts. One, I've never been that cold before. I think uh, the first, or the warmest it got was like 11 degrees. I've never had my nose hair freeze before just by walking outside, seriously. And it was something that I don't know if I hate it or I love it. So I have to experience it again. Also, uh, my rap career began and ended at camp. Yeah, that was something. And then also uh, the guy who runs the camp, um, he's been there for 27 years. And he said that was the first time that he had ever seen a child duct taped to a tree. And I, I laughed because I was like, we've been doing this for like six years. I was going like, to say, I know for a fact I've duct taped kids to trees yeah, there yeah. before, so he, he, he just, wasn't watching. He just hadn't noticed. So, oh, man. But camp was so amazing. And it was amazing because of our leaders. We had, you know, people rallying around, showing up early to get buses started, to tow the trailers over, and, and just our leaders. Um, I know there's a few of you who are there, and we can't do camp without you. And I know there's some of you here, so will you guys just give them a, a round of applause really quick? Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to harp on it and brag too much, but I just want to say that the future of the church is bright. Amen. It is students love and they want to know Jesus more and they want their friends to know Jesus more. So, anyway, on that note, my name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor. Last weekend I was over in Ellensburg uh doing winter camp, but uh we are here this morning to give a few announcements starting off with today at 1 p.m. is our MRCC family pool party and it's going to be at the Enumclaw Aquatic Center. Um, don't worry, the person who was threatening to wear the speedo is not around today and so uh you're you're it will be a family affair, I promise. And so uh we just want to invite you to that. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Bring your whole family out, um, cannonball contest, all of it. We're just we're excited to, to hang out with you today. It's going to be a blast. We also have coming up on January 28th is our uh, we're starting our family heritage lunch. This is sort of a new uh, a group that's going to be starting. The idea is for uh, to reach kids with special needs or with struggling with some sort of illness or IEP, something like that that's just more of a struggle. The idea is that this is a place where those kids and those families can find connection, support, and encouragement. So that's going to be happening at January 28th here at the church at 1 p.m. Uh, if you also know any families that, that have uh, those circumstances going on, invite them. This is going to be a fantastic place just to receive encouragement and support. So we would love to invite you to that. We also have a host of other small groups starting up. There's a table actually in the foyer right now. You can, on your way out, you can head out there, check it out, uh, get signed up to get plugged in to a small group. There's tons of them happening and there's one for everybody. So we would love to have you out there. Pastor Dave and his team will be out there uh, helping you guys get plugged in. So check that out. And then last but not least, we have uh, coming up the first weekend in February, so it's going to be the second and third, is our winter FPU workshop. I don't know about you, but around the first of the years when I start to, you know, the finance wall sort of hits me, and I'm like, man, I should really revisit this, get it's this reminder. It's tax season, that's it's why. It's tax season. And so FPU is such a great way to build that foundation, even if you've been to it before. I, I've done it a bunch of times, and I always am reminded of or learn something new every time. So you can get signed up and find all the details for that on our website at mrccnow.org. There's a big card right there for you to get registered for FPU. Also, if you're new here or if you've been here a couple times and you're just looking for a way uh, to know more about what is going on here, if you want to take your phone 
out, you can scan that QR code on the seat back in front of you or fill out a Connect card and just drop it in the offering. It's just an opportunity for us to get connected with you and for you to know what's kind of going on here uh, at MRCC. We're not going to sell your information or, or anything like that. Uh, we're going to be all over the Bible today, but if you want to open it to John chapter 14, that is the first place we're going to be. Great. Thanks, fellas, and welcome. And pay no attention to what they said. We're actually going to be in Matthew 9. So if you want to turn to Matthew 9 there, that's a good thing. But that's, that's my fault because uh, I didn't tell Tyler that. But, uh, hey, um, I really want to say thanks also, uh, like Tyler was expressing. I, I want to say thanks to so many of us who are so faithful in giving church because there's never a time when a family can't afford to send a teenager to camp and we don't step in as a church and, and send them. Uh, and that's because we're so generous and so faithful. So huge thanks to you. Some of you specifically said, I want a scholarship, a student. Others are just regular in your giving and it makes all the difference. So thank you a ton for that. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well. Special hello this morning to Steve Vandervies. You don't know him in second service. He's a first service guy, but uh, he wiped out his motorcycle in almost exactly the same spot that Rhonda and I did just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so he's going through that that healing process um, at, at this time also. And he keeps wanting to make it in. He's got a collarbone broken in two places, a bunch of ribs, skull fractures. I said, no, Steve, maybe you should stay home with skull fractures, you know. Uh, but no, but I, I say all that with a little bit of humor because he is healing. He is going to be fine. It's just a long journey. And I told him I'd say hi to him this morning on the on the podcast. Great to see you. I had a friend say to me when he saw me wearing this shirt, Ted Nugent called and he wants his shirt back. Uh, <laughs> which is ripoff of a line from Ocean's Eleven. But anyway, you get the idea. Um, I was wearing a sweater over this, but this friend of mine's wife told me I look like Mr. Rogers and take it off. So I took it off right here in second service. Can't make people happy. You know, if you're me, you just can't make people happy. Hey, listen, last week we started a teaching series called Set Apart. And the subtitle is Being Different on Purpose. And, and what we're learning in this six-week season here is that as followers of Jesus... God is calling us sometimes to, to go the opposite direction of our culture, to move the other way, to say things that our culture is not saying anymore, maybe never said. We are called as followers of Jesus to be different and to be unashamed of that, to, to be willing to share why we're different. Peter tells us to do that with gentleness and respect. And so we're kind of exploring what that looks like and in what ways is God calling us to do that. It's really important. We heard Jesus say last week, hey, it's no good when everybody speaks well of you. You should be disliked, rejected. You should be opposed by some. And, and that's a hard call, but it is the call that, that Jesus gives to us. And so we're, we're unpacking what that looks like. This is our, our second week of doing that. Let, let me begin by, by asking you this. Raise your hand if you've ever turned the wrong way on a one-way street, right? I mean, most of us have done that, right? At, at least once. I'm ashamed to say I think I've done that about three times in my life. I'll never forget, though, the first time that I did it. I was just 16. I, I was only a couple months driving, and, and uh, I, I took a turn, not paying attention, listened to my radio more than I was paying attention to the road, and I turned into a one-way street with traffic coming directly at me in several lanes, and I remember remember the, the sudden panicked feeling. And I also remember all the people coming towards me, expressing their love to me in various ways with hand gestures and expressions, you know. And I was like, ah, I'm going the wrong way. And I realized what I did. And so, you know, you, you're kind of reacting. And so I immediately turned off of that street 
into another one-way street. It was a smaller street, a shorter one, but unfortunately this other one went right into a log truck yard, okay? And so when I turned into the second one, suddenly there's a log truck coming right at me. Uh, my pickup was a big truck, but it wasn't that big. And so I'm, gosh, I turned over to the sidewalk and my heart's racing and I'm panicking. I'll like, stop, you know, and I'll never forget the, the log truck driver as he pulled past. He looked over at me, locked eyes, and shouted out his window, nice play, Shakespeare. What about the second act? <laughs> and I thought, how does a log truck driver know about Shakespeare? I, I don't know, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but yeah, I mean, you felt the panic and the sudden sense of danger that goes with turning the wrong way on a one-way street. You, you've all heard the joke, I'm sure, about the guy who was driving home. His wife calls him and says, honey, watch out. I'm watching the news. There's some guy going the wrong way on the freeway. He says, no, it's not one guy. There's a whole bunch of people, you know, and the whole idea, right? You've heard that one before. But I'm sure you know also that going the wrong way on a one-way street is actually incredibly dangerous. I didn't know this. I learned this this week. But on average, in the United States, 371 people a year lose their lives going the wrong way on a one-way street. That's amazing to think that. I mean, that doesn't count all the injuries. That's just mortalities. Going the wrong way on a one-way street is a dangerous thing. And, and the reason I bring that up this morning, church, is because Jesus wants to talk to us about the fact that eternity is a one-way street. That there's only one way to God the Father. There's only one way to the heaven that we all think and talk and sing about. And Jesus makes it quite clear what that one way is. Now, you, you, you and I would never say to our teenagers, hey, don't worry about what way is the right way. Just drive whatever way your heart leads you when they go driving. No, you know, I remember when my son was just starting to drive on his own, and I said, son, one of the things you really want to watch out for, you know, is those one-way street signs because they'll sneak up on you. And Jesus wants us, God wants us to recognize that eternity is actually a one-way street. That's not the way our culture thinks. That's not the message that most of our world puts forth. Instead, there's this idea that, you know, all roads lead to God. Just find one that's comfortable for you. Go with your heart. And that is a road to disaster. That's a road to chaos. We as followers of Jesus are called to recognize that he says clearly and unequivocally that there's only one way. Here's the way the Lord himself put it. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Let me ask us this morning, when, when Jesus says that, do you believe him? Or do you just kind of go, huh, well, that's one opinion. Let me hear some others. When Jesus says that, he is being unequivocal, not only about who he is, but about the fact that eternity is a one-way street. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it, writing to the young pastor Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, there is one God and one mediator between God, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. And church, since that's the reality, and since we would never tell our kids or somebody else's kids that the one-way signs don't matter, it makes it incumbent upon us, if we're honest, if we care, if we love, to share that message with the world around us, 
even when it's unpopular. We're going to unpack this a little bit this morning as we listen to the Lord talk to us. But you know, when I think about this this week, I remembered when Ron and I were over in Europe uh, about 10 years ago and I was driving in Paris and we were going downtown to see all the famous stuff. And all of a sudden, I turned into the central giant traffic circle of downtown Paris. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's probably three quarters of a mile, half a mile across. It's this huge, giant cobblestone circle. And when I came onto it, I was on a one-way street. But once I drove into it, there are absolutely no rules in that traffic circle. Everybody is going every direction all the time. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. And you want to talk about madness. I've been in a lot of third world countries. I've never experienced driving like I did in that circle. And the fastest thing I wanted to do was get out of it. In the same way, God says this idea that there's not just one way, that there's lots of ways, is a dangerous thing. And so he wants to talk to us about it. Let's listen to the Lord Jesus, who loves human beings more than anyone ever has or ever will. Let's listen to him talk about this issue. He was debating with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, and they said to him, who are you? Who do you think you are? If you read the fuller context, who who do you think you are? Who are you claiming to be? Jesus said, just what I have been claiming all along. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, when Jesus said that, he knew exactly how it would sound. He was telling people that the, the, the spiritual leader they most looked up to as a nation, Abraham, who had lived about a thousand years before, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at my day, saw it, and was glad. They said, wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. That's his catchphrase. When you hear me, you're hearing the truth. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, what was he saying? First of all, He's claiming for himself the most holy and sacred name for God in the Hebrew scriptures. I am. When Moses heard the burning bush speaking to him, he said, who is that? God replied and said, I am that I am. Meaning I always was, I always will be. I'm God, I'm the one from beginning to end. The Alpha and Omega, as Revelation puts it, this is God, the Father, the creator, the maker speaking to you. And Jesus takes that name for himself and his audience immediately understood what he was saying and so the bible tells us at this they picked up stones to stone him but jesus hid himself by slipping away from the temple grounds he would do that a number of times in his life until finally when it came time for the cross he didn't slip away but voluntarily surrendered himself to their violence but listen to what he's saying he's taking to himself the very name of God. He does this over and over. The disciples understood exactly what he was saying, which is why John writes in his gospel right from the beginning, when he introduces Jesus, he says this. In the beginning, the very beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Unless we misunderstand, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made, created, that has been made. 
the word, God's self-expression, God's revelation of himself, his making himself known, the word became flesh, a human being, and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen him. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, this is amazing. God's self-expression, God's making himself known to us, was incarnated, became a human being. It's a dramatic revelation. Before I was a, a Christian, as a young man, I had no idea that that was what the Christian faith claimed. Oh, sure, I knew there was a Christian faith. There was a man named Jesus. I had no idea, though, what he actually claimed unequivocally and clearly. And when I found it out, it completely blew my mind. And then I had to make a decision. As C.S. Lewis wonderfully points out in Mere Christianity, when a guy claims to be God, he's either nuts or he's lying or he's telling the truth. There's no other options. You can't say, well, he's just another great spiritual leader. Great spiritual leaders don't say, I'm God. I made everything. Great spiritual leaders don't say, when you see me, you've seen the Father. But Jesus did, which means we can't just relegate him to that great club of inspirational spiritual leaders. He's either telling the truth or he's not. And I found myself confronting this fact. Do I think he's nuts? Boy, he doesn't talk like a crazy guy. Matter of fact, some of the things he says are the most sane things I've ever heard. Do I think he's lying? Man, I can't, honestly, in my heart, I can't believe that. When I watch him and listen to him in the scriptures, in the Bible, that's, he's not a liar, which only leaves me one option, that he's telling the truth. That was what made me a believer. That's what changed my life. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand about who he is. There's a really important reason for it. We're going to touch on it for a moment. But grasp that this is what Jesus is claiming. There's a wonderful old story. comes from the early part of the last century in the Midwest about a farmer who uh, saw a storm approaching on the horizon and he wanted to get the animals in the barn for shelter. And he could get most of them in, but he couldn't get the geese in. He had a bunch of geese. And every time he'd walk towards them, they'd flap and run away because he was scary. And so he was distraught as the storm got closer and closer. He wanted to get the geese in the barn. He said to his wife, what can I do to help them know that I want to help them? And in the story, his wife said, if only you could become a goose. See, wives are always smarter than husbands. That's what the story's about. No, but seriously, that's what God has done in Christ. He's become one of us, a human being, so that we could know him, so that he could bring us to safety. And Jesus was crystal clear about who he claimed to be. Here's why this matters so deeply, friends. It's only when we believe that he is who he says he is that we begin to experience him fully. Let me say that again. It's only when we believe that he is who he says he is that we begin to experience him fully. Now, it's, it's possible to hang around Jesus, to be around Jesus, to hear Jesus, to, after a fashion, kind of believe in Jesus and never really get to the place where we believe that he is who he says he is. That's what happened to Philip. Philip spent three years as one of the disciples following Jesus around. And yet, on the night that they came to the cross, when it was time to go to the cross, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That's what we want. That'll be enough for us. We just want to see God clearly. Jesus answered him and said, don't you know me, Philip? 
even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, I've been showing the Father to you all along. It's me. I'm your maker. I'm your creator. I made the sky above you, the ground beneath you, the air you breathe, the mind you used to think, the heart that you used to feel. It's me. Here I am. And lots of people live around Jesus, kind of like Philip did up to this moment. And they're like, well, I know, you know, he's got important things to say. But until we grasp that when we hear him, we're hearing God himself. That's when the turn comes. That's when we begin to experience him. Thomas had the same experience two days later. We call him Dotting Thomas. It's really a bad rap. Thomas was just a critical thinker, skeptical thinker. And he sees the resurrected Jesus and he falls down before him and he says, my Lord and my God, for the first time in his life. And Jesus responds to him beautifully. He says, Thomas, because you've seen, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. That's you and me. Blessed are those who listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to the heart of every person on the planet and admit it to ourselves and acknowledge it to ourselves. Recognize that he is who he says he is. Here's why it matters so much. It's only when we believe in him that we'll truly listen to him. Think of it this way. You know, you're driving oh, down to Puyallup and your buddy says to you after you kind of run a hot pink light, your buddy says, you know, you should probably drive a little more carefully. You're likely to go, yeah, he's probably right, but whatever. It's my buddy. I don't listen to him. That's why he's my buddy, right? So you just kind of blow it off. But if you're having that same conversation by the side of the road with flashing lights in your rearview mirror, and it's a lady wearing a gun with a ticket pad, and she says, you know, you should drive more carefully. You're like, yes, yes, you're correct. You're absolutely right. I should. You hear it differently. And we hear Jesus differently when we recognize what he's claiming. And that's where our experience of him expands. Lots of people like Philip live around him, but never really recognizing who they're hearing. Here's how the early believers put it, lest there be any ambiguity. In Colossians chapter 1, the Bible says this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. God made visible. He is the firstborn over all creation. Don't misunderstand born. In that context, firstborn meant the one with authority, the first in the family, the prince who would become king. He is the firstborn. doesn't mean created. It means holding the place of primary authority. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, catch this. By him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, those are references to invisible things. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Holy cow. And he is the head of the body, his church. He is the beginning of the firstborn, the primary, from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Catch this, lest, lest we miss the point. Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Church, <laughs> what the apostle is doing is making it crystal clear to you and me 
that this man is God revealed to us, made known to us. So when we hear him, we hear God. I love how G.K. Chesterton put it beautifully. He said, we must understand that in God, there is no unchristlikeness at all. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing in God that's different from the heart, the mind, the spirit that we hear and experience in Jesus. Let me ask us again, have you grasped that? It makes all the difference in how we hear him. So often we tend to hear him as one of many voices and we rank them. Here's number four, here's number eight. And, and even the ones we put at the top, we say, well, you know, there's others that have valid points of view. But Jesus is saying when it comes to who God is, I'm the first word, the last word, there is no other word. And it makes all the difference to how we listen. Now, I remember some years ago at Christmas uh, when our son was still home, he was, I don't know, about 11 or 12 and, and uh, was a week off. And so we were sitting in the living room playing video games. And um, my wife makes these incredible molasses cookies at Christmas, which are absolutely to die for. Right, Zach? Yes. <laughs> Every year she starts making them and Zach just says, hallelujah, glory to God, you know. He always gets them. And, and the thing is, once you start eating, you can't stop eating them. They're like the most addictive thing ever. They're amazing. So Isaiah's got a plate of cookies. I got a plate of cookies. Well, he's 12. He's finished his already. I'm like, stay away from my cookies, son. I'm bigger than you, right? These are mine. Well, then the doorbell rings, right? I'm like, I got to go answer the door. And I looked at my son and I said, don't eat my cookies. <laughs> uh, I mean it. Don't touch my cookies. Those are dad's cookies. Don't, take, don't look at them. Don't think about my cookies while I'm gone. I said, son, thou shalt not covet thy father's cookies. And I gave him this hard look. I said, I mean it. And I went to the door. Of course, he ate some of my cookies. But he did listen differently. And that's the point. That's why Jesus says this. He wants us to listen to him differently than we hear all the other voices in our lives. Because how we listen makes all the difference of our experience of God. Let me just take you down this thought experiment here. What if as you headed home today, your phone dingled and there was a text from God. First, you would think it was somebody in China trying to get your social security number, right? But what if you knew that it really was from God? Would you do what most of us do most of the time with our text? You know, the phone dingles. You say, I don't got time for that right now. I'll get to it when I have a minute. That's what most of us do, right? Because we, there's too much connection, and so we, we set aside time to respond to our text most of the time. But if you knew that was God, I know what I'd do. I'd immediately pull over, turn on the hazards, and see what he had to say. You would too. You'd be like, oh, my goodness. You mean God is speaking to me? Jesus wants us to feel like that when we hear him and to feel that urgency to know what he's saying. Let me say it again. It's only when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is that we take him as seriously as he wants us to. Here's how he put it over in John chapter 6. He said, Greg, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words, I know you think you need a lot of things, Greg, but here's the thing. You need my words. What I'm saying to you is spirit and it's life. 
And when you believe that he is who he says he is, it makes all the difference in how you listen. Just one more analogy. Uh, I went through a couple of cervical spine surgeries back in the day, and before the surgery, they would give me an injection in my spine of steroids to kind of bring down the, the swelling of the, in the, the discs before they repaired them. Some of you have probably been through the same thing. And When I would get that injection, I'd go to the doctor's office, we'd go into the back room, and there'd be a nurse there and another guy, and, and they'd have me lay on this table face down, and they'd put a sterile uh, you know, blanket over the back, and they'd swab the back of my neck. And then, I'll never forget hearing it the first time, the doctor says, now, Greg, I'm going to put this big needle in your spine, I need you to hold perfectly still. I have never been more cooperative in my life, okay? You betcha, I'm not moving for nothing. <laughs> I thought about saying, heaven and earth may move, but I won't move, and why you got that. And, and I held very, very still. Imagine how you would listen if somebody said that to you. Jesus wants us to hear him with at least that much urgency. Now, I never forget the second time I went back to do that, and and halfway through the procedure, he says, oops, never done that before. <laughs> I was like, what, what? But I, I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to move. I didn't move. I still don't know what he did. It's probably some foreign object in my spine. But anyway, you get my point, to listen clearly to him. Lots of people struggle to, lots of people struggle to experience God in their lives because they never listen to Jesus as God. And that's what he wants us to do. Let me give you another example. When I was a brand new believer reading the Bible for the first time, I remember sitting in my kitchen and hearing Jesus say this. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. He says, anyone who says to his brother, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. What? I call people idiots all the time. I insult people right and left back then. Uh, uh, my tongue, oh boy, I've called a lot of people a lot of things. And I never thought twice about it until I heard Jesus say this. And I remember sitting there, my kids going, oh my goodness, the whole way I talk must change because eternity hangs in the balance. Oh my goodness. That had a profound effect on me. I remember going on a quest. I have got to get control of my tongue because God is telling me that it makes all the difference in eternity. We're meant to feel that seriousness. When you say to your toddler child, I want you to stay out of the street. The traffic is dangerous. You want them to hear you because you love them in the same way God in Christ wants us to hear him. I remember going on and hearing Jesus say this in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you that men, people, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Suddenly everything I say, everything I post, everything I write matters. And it dramatically changed my life. And when we listen to Jesus the way he wants us to listen to him, as God himself speaking, then we have that experience. For, for lots of people, Jesus isn't God. He's an influencer. And, and, and we go to him, you know, for suggestions or food for thought or maybe an inspirational pick-me-up now and again. 
But those kinds of things won't save your soul or your marriage or your friendship. Those kinds of things won't inspire the holy and beautiful fear that gives us the strength to turn away from sin and all the danger that it brings. Jesus wants us to hear him for who he is. Most people in our world have a nonspecific God. You know, and, and a nonspecific God is great in some ways. They never disagree with you. They, you can always kind of rationalize your way into, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the good thing. They're always looking out for you more than anything else. And, you know, a nonspecific God is, is really quite comfortable. But Jesus says, in me, God has become specific. And that's a whole different ballgame. And he invites us to recognize that because he loves us. You know, I think of that powerful moment when King David had his enemy under the thumb. He's in the cave, Saul's asleep. King David can take revenge, can take his life, can strike him down. And there's only one thing that stops him. He says, oh, I'm... I have too much healthy fear of God to touch God's anointed. I, I'm not going to take his life. I'm not going to take over. I'm going to let God's will work itself out of my life. And he walked away from that moment. You don't have the power to do that if you're not listening to Jesus as God. But that's where that power comes from. Okay, real quick, before we turn into the closing this morning, let me clear up something. What we're talking about today doesn't mean that we as Christians must reject everything in all other religions. We don't have to do that. We only reject what is different from what Jesus is saying. So, so when the Muslim faith says we should all in a disciplined way give alms, take care of the poor, we say, yes, absolutely, we agree. Or when the Hindu faith says, hey, we're not here just to exploit the creation. The creation is sacred and we're meant to be stewards and take care of it because it really belongs to God. We say, yes, I agree. And when the Buddhist says, you know what? Uh, life is much more than material things. It's the invisible things, the immaterial things. It's the inside of you. It's the spirit. We say, yes, absolutely. Amen. I agree with you. It's only when those faiths diverge from what Jesus is saying that we say, oh, time out. Now you're getting off the one way. Think of it this way. If your child brought home her math test, and the question she was asked is, what's four plus three? And she wrote five, and the teacher said, correct. You go, what? And you call the teacher and you go, what is this? You, 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 it's four plus three is seven, but you, she said, I just want to affirm her. I want her to feel good about herself. I want her to feel good about the test-taking experience. You'd say, well, time out. I need more for my kid. Well, in the same way, friends, God calls you and I, the followers of Jesus, to say, hey, there's, there's really only one way. It's not that there's not some truth over here and there and the other place, but there's really only one way, and that is through Jesus. We are called to carry that message. That is a sacred responsibility that we have. Peter put it this way in Acts chapter 12. He said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is why we swim upstream in our culture. Our culture loves pluralism. The early Roman Empire said, hey, have whatever religion you want as long as you agree to worship the emperor. Persecution came on the early believers because they said, oh, that sounds great. 
but there's only one Lord and it's Jesus. And that simple small thing resulted in their persecution, but it also resulted in the birth and the growth of the church because people were telling the truth. And that's what you and I are called to. And this is precisely why the Christian faith embraces many denominations, lots of churches, all part of our family. They do things radically different. Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Assemblies of God, doesn't matter. They all do things a little bit different, but we're one family. But by the same token, the LDS church, the Jehovah's Witness Church and the Christian Science Church are not on the one way. Why? Not because some things they don't say aren't good, but because they all say Jesus is not God become a human being. Friends, that's an unpopular thing, but it's the truth. And you want the truth told to your kids, and we are responsible to tell the truth to those around us. Let me finish with the last thing here. Because there's another reason why it's so important to our Father that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that's this. Lots of people wrestle with an inability to forgive themselves. Something they've said, something they've done, and they think to themselves, I wish I could undo that. I wish I could take that away. I wish that could be erased. I wish I could be forgiven. But most of us just try to live with it. Here comes Jesus. Jesus says, guess what? I am the last word on all of your sins, Greg. I can forgive you forever, permanently, effectively. Do you believe in me? Because if you do, I have the last word on your sins. Matthew chapter 9 tells an incredible story. This is where we finish. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town, and some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Paralyzed friend. They brought him to Jesus for healing. They knew he was a healer. When Jesus saw their faith, he told the paralytic, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, when Jesus said that, there were two reactions. First of all, the man's friend said, hey, wait a minute. That's not what we came for. We know you heal. He's paralyzed. We want you to heal his body. That was one reaction. The other reaction was the religious leaders who said, this man is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? How dare he claim to be able to do such a thing? And Jesus, knowing what was going on in the minds of the people in front of him, said this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. Why did Jesus do that miracle? For one reason, so that you and me would know that he has that kind of power, that kind of authority, that when he says your sins are forgiven, that's the last word. There are no other words. Your own opinion doesn't matter. When he says it, it's a done deal. And he said, I'm healing the guy for only one reason, Greg. I'm healing the guy for only one reason, Rhonda. I'm healing the guy for only one reason, you. I'm healing him so you'll know that I can forgive sins. Church, and it's only when we believe that he is who he claims to be that we experience that forgiveness, that final word, that last word. And he wants you to know that and feel that. When the crowd saw this, the story ends, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority. 
I don't know what you're living with. I don't know your regrets. You don't know mine. But I can tell you this. Jesus is the one who washes them all away. The only one. The last word on you and your sins. And when you go to him and he forgives you, there's nothing left. There's nothing left to forgive. It is done forever and eternally. And that's why he wants us to believe that he is who he says he is. That's why he wants that. Let me finish with a story. Some of you, probably most of us, have heard me tell the story of when I was 10 years old and I shot my grandfather's car. If you haven't heard the story, it's real simple. You know, I'm out in the garage with my grandfather. We're cleaning rifles. One day, phone rings. Grandpa goes in the house. I pick up one of the rifles we're cleaning, and I start playing like I'm hunting Germans in the garage, right? I didn't know it was loaded, and I shot my grandfather's car. Big wood-paneled Ford LTD station wagon. Shot it right through the block. Ah! And I threw the gun back on the freezer about the time Grandpa came out of the house with, you know, white as a sheet. And at that moment, just at that moment, my youngest, next younger sister walked into the garage. Grandpa said, what happened? I said, Lisa shot the car. <laughs> the lamest lie ever offered by a human being. But you know, Grandpa, Grandpa didn't shout at me. He didn't, you know. I think he was pretty relieved that it wasn't something else awful. In fact, he didn't say anything except, are you okay? Is everybody okay? Or are we all right? Probably didn't want grandma to know that he'd allowed that to happen. But, you know, I went home and I thought, oh no, he's going to tell mom. He didn't. Days went by, week went by, and it's still nothing. I go to grandpa's house the next time. He doesn't even mention it. I'm thinking, what? You know. And friends, this went on for years. <laughs> I was 19 and home on leave from the military at grandpa's house one day. And I looked over at him and I said, you know, I shot the car. <laughs> Grandpa's like, duh. <laughs> he said, I know. And in the moment when he said that, something that in my heart had been between me and him passed away. I knew that he knew, and he forgave me anyway. That's what God wants us to know in Christ. That's why it's so important that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because when he gives you his forgiveness, it's forever, friends. It's forever. It's the last word. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for your word this morning. And Jesus, we recognize that our world is just saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Like there is no one way. Like, like eternity is just whatever you want it to be. And you tell us the truth. You say that right and wrong matter. You say that sin is real. And you say that sins can be forgiven. Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear you as who you are. To hear you as the very word of God revealed to us. Help us to hear that so that we can receive your grace. So that we can know the forgiveness you want us to know. And God, we also pray that as we go out into the world in just a moment, help us to go out like responsible grown-up people that care about those around us. Enough to try to find some way to tell them about you. To tell them about your love.
your forgiveness and your truth. We pray for that. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We have one last special thing to do this morning before we go. And I'm going to invite Mario and Michelle to come join me up here on the platform. And probably a lot of you got a letter in the mail talking about the fact that here at MRCC, we have a new kids pastor, and that is our sister, Michelle. Step up here, you guys, if you would, and her husband, Mario. We call him Super Mario. You can figure out why. <laughs> but uh, Pastor Allison is moving on to the next stage of her ministry here. She's not going anywhere. She's going to become our family life pastor with a much bigger and broader portfolio to continue serving our church. For the last nine years, she has been the best children's pastor in the entire Northwest. I have no doubt of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's not going anywhere. She's now going to become our family life pastor, carrying an even bigger load. And, and Allison is the one who led us in identifying Michelle as the next person to step into her shoes. And so she's been doing that since the 1st of January. You got a letter. You might be thinking to yourself, hey, I've seen her around. She's been here for like a year. Yes, she has. They've been part of our church for some time throughout this whole process. And now, though, she is leading our kids' ministry. And I just want to ask you to join me in praying over them. There's no need to pray over Mario. He's full of the Holy Spirit. We connected immediately. <laughs> We connected immediately because Mario knows that the greatest sport in the world is soccer. Amen? Yep, that's right. And so we're right there on that one. But we want to pray God's blessing and anointing as Michelle leads our kids. Would you maybe stretch your hand out and just pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the gift of our sister. God, you, you have brought her to us. You have given her to us. And we ask your anointing on her ministry. We ask that your power would rest on her. Your grace, your peace would rest on her as she serves, Lord. We thank you for giving her to us. And God, we know that the most important thing your church does is care for children. So we ask that you would empower, anoint, and bless Michelle's ministry in our midst. We pray for that. We thank you for her. We receive them into our hearts. And we do this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, bless you. Bless you. Would you stand, church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, God. And in case you think that we're getting away with something up here, I was actually supposed to do that at the beginning of the message in second service. So, my mistake. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Church, have a great afternoon.